and welcome to Unsource Wall. My name is Elvis, and as always, I am your host. Okay, so it's going to be kind of a packed review session. There's some comics that came out this week that I wasn't actually planning on reviewing, so let's just get on into it with some news topics first. Heading on into movie news, we actually have some new developments regarding Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, because it turns out that it might not actually start shooting until February 2021, just to give Gunn time to work on Suicide Squad and obviously the post-production process of that. They really don't want to have any kind of borderline between the two projects, which I'm all for. I mean, sure, it's way off, but at least it'll give time for that series to reach the present, so to speak. It's like what I feel about Aquaman 2, where Volume 2 was actually set in the past of the relative MCU. So having Volume 3 take so long to come out and be made kind of makes it more, like, say, believable. Unless, of course, it's still set in the past, by which then this will have been an unnecessary and long wait. Also in tangentially related movie news, it seems that the Toxic Avenger reboot has found a writer and director. Same person. It seems that Macon Blair, who directed in 2017 the movie I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, starring Melanie Linsky and Elijah Wood, will write and direct this new Toxic Avenger movie. So, I mean... Sure, why not? If anyone's seen that movie, it had a really sort of down and off-kilter and very indie kind of feel. So I think that that's like a great idea to have somebody with that sort of sensibility and not somebody that is going to be a little too mainstream which I think was the problem with what they've been trying to do with the Toxic Avenger in multimedia since then. It makes me a little bit more cautiously optimistic. Of course, I'm still not convinced that this is ever going to happen. Fingers crossed. Alright, moving on to TV news, we have a great one with the casting of Jericho in Titan Season 2. It is actor Chela Man, who is a staff actor, and like, yeah, if you look at the picture, he looks great. I love that they're still keeping this whole multi-ethnic Deathstroke family. I think there's gonna be a lot of fun with that if they do play it up, and then they have like the cultural sensibilities kind of stewing, and just all that really rich goodness of it. I can't wait. They've also apparently cast Ravager with actress Chelsea T. Zhang, who is a former Disney Channel starlet. And, well, sure, why not? Like I said, I was kind of hoping for just like a generally all Latino Deathstroke family. But, sure, why not? It could be fun. It could really be uh, something that really sets them apart and makes them really unique. And let's be honest, Slade, he gets around, so why the hell not? Our last bit of TV news is that we have the first actual footage Krypton Season 2 teaser trailer, which shows in montage style, Sagel and Brainiac being lost in the Phantom Zone, a brief glimpse at General Zod's multi-planetary empire, which includes like a space elevator between Mars and like the Earth. Adam Strange just being disheveled and completely out of it. So it's going to be really, really fun. Oh, wait, and also Doomsday. We've also seen Doomsday and he looks fantastic, all gnarled and rocky and just disgusting. It's so great. I love the first season and I have nothing but the highest hopes for the second because it just seems like a lot of care and actual skill is going into making this show and making it the best it can be. My only real hope is that Adam Strange gets a little bit more due. You could really bring up the more of the Hero of Ron type shit. But in any case, it seems like it's going to be kind of a ride and I can't wait for the season premiere. Fingers crossed. Moving on to comic news, we have a few interesting announcements, including that Scott Snyder is working on a horror comic project with Francesco Francavilla, which is 
kind of exciting because we all know that something like Afterlife of Archie that Franco Francovilla has been working on has been delayed for years now. So it's good to see that he's working on an actual horror comic. And I always felt like Snyder knew more about how to work within the confines of that style of story than he ever really did within the sort of cape comic genre. Fingers crossed. The other announcement is that apparently Hack Slash is getting a crossover with The Crow. And I'm only interested in this because of The Crow. I think that as a franchise, it's pretty interesting to see just how weird and whack they could always do new minis for it. And as the singular original story, I think that's a really magnificent and genuinely masterful comic. So I really want to see what they could do to make this a unique vision of the crow because like I said there's been so many goofy silly ridiculous versions including one where he's like an otaku and it was also a remake slash retelling of the original mini and in that version he's also drawn by the artist to look like J.O. Barr it was all over the place so yeah I'm excited because it could be either really silly or really bad and I'm interested to find out which so fingers crossed all right so let's move on into what I read this week let's head on in with the Goon number one. Well, we return again to Lonely Street and to Goon and Frankie and the Werewolf Kid too. It's just been such a long wait since Once Upon a Hard Time and I have been anticipating their return. So I kind of hoped it would be a little more than just it. They've been hyping this up with the Lords of Misery storyline in like the couple one shots and it just begins with the same old thing. I know that Powell is doing this whole 20th anniversary thing and that Lords of Misery is still coming out as an OGN but I think it would have been way better to release that first because just the way it's done now has all the impact of like a wet thud. It just feels so regressive and honestly kind of lame. It's still a decent goon issue though I'm not gonna lie about that and I'm glad that it seems to have the same strong footing of tone and apparently a good idea of the plot it wants to bring up, I'm happy for it. Still though, there's an anchor of what could have been hanging right around its neck. And it's going to need to impress. It can't just be regular goon adventures, especially after all that struggle to get to like that finale to begin with. It's, it's You need to step it up and I hope it does. I hope that it impresses soon. But other than that, two thumbs middle. Next up is Naomi number three. And I'm just gonna say it, this was a pretty okay issue of Naomi. And that's not even entirely faint praise. Like for the first time with Bendis' mainline DCU books, there are actual set pieces and intimate moments that have the intended weight, tone, and gravitas that Bendis wants. They're not outstanding. It's not masterful or skilled work, but it's there and it's definitely like intentional. I had to make sure I was even still alive when I realized that the interplay and interaction and dialogue were actually even the smallest bit engaging, the tiniest bit investive. The story also gets a tad more interesting by way of becoming a lot more nonsensical. It seems like several adults are from other planets or alternate universes or both and the people we were led to believe were her parents in the previous issue were alternate dimension hawk people and that her adoptive father is from Ron and it's just pretty out there. Like is her town just a neutral zone between Thanagar and Ron? Where is she even from? And this is the fun bit is that people have been speculating that she's just normal and at the 
town is whacked out and the actually special bit. But that would be way more clever than Bendis could ever do. So yeah, the story is still whacked and not genuinely engaging. But this issue stepped on the brakes and let some of the characters actually breathe a bit. So that there is actually something to start engaging with too. Will that help with the second half of this mini? Maybe. I hope so. But still, one thumb down, one thumb up. Next up we have The Wildstorm number 21. So close to the end. Only three issues from the end of all things, and it's kind of stalled in its tracks. Like I know this series is a slow burn, but this authority setup arc in proper has been such a tedious bore. I know it has some good spots, no doubt, and it has some great beats of characterization, but for something that is meant to be ramping up into an explosive acceleration for the Wildstorm universe as a whole, it just sags. Past arcs like the first or the Gen 13 setup arc took their time, but there was always this incredible and undeniable sense of slotting into forward movement like finishing a puzzle this arc just seems to lollygag there's some good lines some good gags witticisms and a wonderfully touching moment between Apollo and Midnighter plus this hysterical rant from a side character it's hard to say that it's genuinely terrible but it should be a lot more coalesced I'm not saying it should be more exciting no not at all but there should be more of a rolling together feeling and tone one thumb up one thumb middle moving along to criminal number three I love this issue. The first part to this two-parter fell a bit more parsed down and I think began the story a bit too light. This goes full hog with the character, who is also the main character of the Bad Night arc, because they're really being delved into so much more by Brubaker and Phillips. Hell, it might be the best core evaluation of the character bar none, and it's only two issues. It's such a wonderful, biting, darkly manic story, and it sets up the tone and background of the previous arc so well. I would love to see this two-parter and Bad Night packaged together in one volume in the future. It's the perfect tonal prequel. And I just had so much fun with it. This new relaunch has really found its leg and the volleying back and forth between one and dones, two-parters, and the longer arcs is now feeling a lot more natural. This isn't a storyline-based series. It's about the world of the series and the criminal underground. It lives and breathes by these characters. So the vast and pulsating and in-and-out nature of the stories works. It's really something special if they can pull it off. So yeah, two thumbs up. And now for our next to last one, we have The Immortal Hulk number 15. And it's safe to say that this issue really did bring back a whole bunch of goodwill from me to the series. It's such a nicely intimate issue that goes back to what the series has always been doing best, creating a narrative that tries to bridge the world and the characters of the Hulk into this grand unifying theory. And this is perhaps the most invested I've been in characters like Doc Samson. Him and the Hulk, they just work and their dynamic and contrast pop and are really brought to the forefront in this issue. With Doc Samson taking much of the legwork, it really shows just how intricate this entire Gamma family really is and I really think that it works. It makes it feel like such an ordered and structured mythology. Hulk and the Bruce themselves, the variations of the Hulk and all that juicy Bronze Age goodness get there doing this too. The way Ewing reinvests in these concepts of Bruce's mind gallery of Hulks and that he finally bridges together Devil Hulk into this new immortal Dad Hulk is wonderful. It really does make it so that Bruce is the driving force, even when he is apparently seemingly powerless at the thrall. When the series was kind of approaching useless and overbearing narration and themes, it sagged really hard. But when it focuses on the Hulk and everything relating to that, 
it soars. And now we're even getting Rick Jones back, and I can't wait. Rick Jones hasn't really been that interesting in forever, but he was the one who stood by the Hulk and Bruce throughout the entirety of the early days, so I can't wait to see what Ewing does with that dynamic here. I have hope, because there are two points in this issue where Rick even takes the center stage thematically, and it'll be exciting, for better or worse, to see where they take him. Two thumbs up. Now lastly, we have, surprisingly, Spider-Man Life Story number 1. I wasn't really interested in this to begin with. I thought the entire idea was pretty novel, but that they weren't really going full hog with it, so it just remained a blip on my radar. Still, I had some time and I checked it out, and I was pleasantly surprised. It's such a simple, but incredibly effective and emotionally deathy story. It works that balance, and is able to feel the credit of being both tonally spread out enough to capture the emotion of that decade, but also specifically specific and hone enough to make a few pinpointed hearty beats that hit like a Mack truck. There is this insanely well-developed bit between Flash Thompson and Peter, right when Flash is heading off to Vietnam, and it's amazing. It's just amazing. If every issue of this mini gets a small moment like that, then it'll have been worth it, just to capture the idea of this character in these eras, and what that could mean to him and his cast. It fulfills this promise of the mini more than any of the trickier visuals or gimmicks that it could be doing would. It's a nice, comfortable, and solidly engaging and investing read. I couldn't say any better things about it than that. Two thumbs up. Alright, so let's head into what I watched this week. First things first, we have Gotham Season 5, Episode 10. I am Bane. This is the penultimate episode of this main seasonal plot, before the time skip epilogue finale episode. And well, it really tries to bring this myth arc to a head. And it does a good job with it, but it's also insanely weird. Like I've noted in previous episodes, they were all very singular episodes. Either character or premise focused. And they were really fun single episodes, but they didn't really do anything for the main story at hand. And now it's over? Like, we're right the year later, maybe a few days from the flash forward at the start of the season, and it feels like it was at most two to three weeks in universe. It's so sudden and jarring, and kinda anticlimactic and disappointing. Which is a shame, because they did have so many plans before the season was cut down to just 12 episodes. But it feels like it's barely even the footnotes version of what should have happened. All the episodes are fine, but they really fail to set up this episode any well. And it's a dang good episode. We have Penguin and Riddler shenanigans, where they're playing really dumb cat and mouse with Bane, Gordon and Alfred getting completely fucked by Bane in the League of Shadows, because it turns out that surprise, his commanding officer was Nissa al Ghul all along. I burst out laughing. It's like a smaller scale but hypercharged version of The Dark Knight Rises. And it works! It's the right tone and size for this show, and it doesn't really pull any punches when showing just how menacing Bane and Nissa are, which leads this all to a great cliffhanger. Gotham just being fucked completely. Like, carpet bombed. This episode was just really thrilling, but it doesn't have that impact that it should. Batgirl being born barely had any sort of weight to it because the pregnancy and everything regarding that was all rushed as hell too. So yeah, it's a shame. But still, they're making the best of it, and I can't wait for the final story episode. After a four week hiatus. I mean, goddammit Gotham, you had to get one more in, right? One thumb up, one thumb middle. I'm gonna miss this show, I really am. And for the next thing I watched this week, we have Doom Patrol. Episode 6, Doom Patrol Patrol. Oh god, I missed the show too. This episode really took me places. And outside of Jane, for the most part, it was nowhere but up. 
This episode is just too good to really express in words. It's just the right chapter and note we need right now in order to sell the stakes and the real drama and horror of this situation, of the premise. It's really shaken me a bit. I love that it was a Rita-focused episode and just how cutting and scathing it was about her and the palpable dread, regret, and terror of it all. Like, I can't underscore those last two. Negative Man makes a joke about how they're stuck in The Shining, but the last act of this episode is genuinely more scary than most horror films I I've seen lately. It just penetrates right into the characters as we've gotten to know them. And it's painful to watch. The lead up to it too. That somewhat jokey, heartening, and nostalgic tone and style of the episode. But then you see the seams and the placement of those seams in the episode just set you on edge throughout it. And when the curtain is pulled, it's electrifying. It was like a pit in my stomach. So yeah, it's a roller coaster episode. But it was so well planned out and so ordered that it's the mark of a great show. I'm still reeling from watching it even now. Such a bittersweet, sorrowful, and just awful chapter of this series. And I can't wait to see what comes from it. I mean, it's so good that we also see Robot Man bond with Cyborg, and Animal Vegetable Mineral Man pop up in a gag cameo, and they're the effective glue to bind this really dramatic and heartening story together, but they're still so overshadowed by just the masterful stuff in the main storyline. That's how good this is. That's how good this show is when you have so many great things in an episode, that even things that would be fantastic in a regular show, not as the really standout and highlight moments. This show is just too good. The show never fumbles once. Jane can get a bit aggravating at the start of the episode, but even in the last act, she's given such great things that she shines. And it's another hit. They have another hit on their hands. And I hope that they keep it up. Two thumbs up. Alright, next up we have some listener questions. And well, let's get on right into it. Our first one is from AkiCat on Twitter and their question is what were my favorite cartoons as a child? I think this is asked before or at least something very similar but let's get right on into it anyway. Alright so starting off we have Flint the Time Detective about this caveman boy who would solve crimes against time with his talking hammer which I think was his dad. I can't remember it that well but I had such a blast watching it whenever it was on. I need to find that dub somehow. Next up would be some of the DCAU shows. Primarily Static Shock. I loved Ebon. I love Rubber Band Man. I love those stupid episodes where you got like Shaq or like the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC on there. And who could forget that episode where Richie becomes gear? What a great show. I love it. I should really get back to binging it on DCU. After that, obviously, would have to be Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot based on Miller and Darrow's comic book. It was made into a cartoon by the same people who did the Godzilla animated series and the Men in Black animated series. And it was fantastic. It still holds up to this day. It's funny. It's somewhat wry at times. There's an episode that references Dr. Strangelove of all things. It's pretty brilliant. My only complaint is that it ends on a cliffhanger that didn't need to happen. Like it ends on the most pointless cliffhanger of all time because the final episode of the series wraps up like the entire myth arc of the show. And then the last two seconds it's like, no wait, and then it just cliffhanger. So whatever that's bullshit but the show is incredibly great and I love it I still love it I love the comic too I had the comic somewhere around here in the deluxe edition with a beautiful recoloration job by Dave Stewart it's one of my favorite things of all time and next up of course we have Digimon like the first three seasons I love that show I, I love the characters the kids I love the relationships with the Digimon and I love things where it wasn't at the time at least it didn't feel like it was talking down Rewatching the dub right now it can sometimes feel like yeah they're 
kind of dumbing it down. But even then, it felt like it was really sort of transgressing some things that I wasn't really expecting from cartoons at that point. Like, Naughty was a very simple cartoon, and Digimon was just going straight for it. Angemon died and was reborn, and that just kind of blew my mind a little bit. Like, how the hell did this happen? It's only been 10 episodes, and it was just shocking. O2 is a bit iffy, but Tamers, I think, hit at the right time and place to be like the new edgy Digimon season where like you kind of feel more adult it feels a little bit more grounded and again it plays and flirts with concepts like meta commentary and just going all out with sort of the inner turmoil and trauma of the characters in there it just felt really unique so yeah I love those first three seasons and of course we have like I said Naughty I loved Naughty it was such a simple fun little show as a kid like a really young kid I don't know what else after that I'm not quite sure if I could count Mega Sexolar because I was a little bit older then and I didn't watch it until I was a little bit older than that too so yeah no I think I should keep it to just basic cable and what was giving on Fox and WB11 so yeah no those would be about it those are the first things that come to mind anything else that I missed even if I had enjoyed it clearly didn't stick with me to this day except for of course Scooby-Doo which I just remembered right now so that counts I love Scooby-Doo Scooby-Doo is safe but anyway that would be about it Thank you for that question, AkiCat. It was great going down memory lane like this. So thank you. And I hope that my tastes weren't so terrible. Our next question is from the ever great Medea. And their question is probably one of the hardest I've ever heard on this show. And it is, what is my favorite animal-based character? And goddammit, Big 2, you have so many animal-based characters. It is insane. And it took me a while to think about this. It really did. I mean, you have so many contenders here. You have obviously Hawkman or Wildcat or Detective Chimp or any of the Flash's multiple villains or allies like Solovar or Gorilla Grodd and even the Ultra Humanites. And where do you even draw the line? So I'm going to pick one that was pretty particularly memorable to me and it's gonna be Talkie Tawny because Tawny is well he's just a really fun character I think that he is probably one of the most like lovable and unique characters in Captain Marvel's mythology and he also gets used to a really great effect a lot of the times like Final Crisis his part in Final Crisis is actually one of the best parts of Final Crisis he's perfect in the golden age stuff and he's really just like an adorable lovable character so yeah who could hate Tawny who really could anyway thank you for that question Medea like I've said there are just so many animal based characters like the rhino or the lizard or the scorpion like how do you even decide this point and I hope I did my best to weather the damage here thank you Aki Cat, and thank you Medea thank you guys so much for sending in questions they were really great I'm sorry to everyone about the noise in this episode because I'm recording from a different location than I usually am so if things are a bit off that's probably the reason why and well thank you guys so much for listening and the questions as well and thank you to everyone who sends in comments or feedback and everything else like that it means so much and it's so amazing and it's so great and I'm so grateful for it so thank you so much and if anyone else has their own questions or comments or feedback that they want to send you can find me on twitter at t-h-e underscore s-n-i-c-k-m-a-n and i also want to give a shout out to the artists for the show at d-o-t-e-m-c-e-e they are amazing check them out they really deserve it okay so i'm going to see shazam tonight and i'll have a review ready next week just in time for a week between the actual release of the movie so you have plenty of time to make your decisions but i hope it's good i'll let you guys know Thank you so much and have a great week. See you then.